Hard Fix Network. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to Studio A. You are listening to The Interview Show, your home for entertaining and insightful discussions on all manner of topics. And here's the host of the show, Chris Green. Thank you, Tommy. All right, let's begin. My guest today is a longtime friend of mine. We go way, way back. We've been on many crazy adventures together. Please welcome my good friend, Scotty Moore. Hello. Oh, man, it's so good to see you. Like, I, I remember the days of college. It was insanity. Like, you were an absolute maniac back then. I think that's putting it mildly, to be honest. I mean, normal kids, like, if you talk about, like, a crazy kid in college, it's like, oh, did he, like, jump off a roof at a party? No, you jumped out of a helicopter at a party. Like, it was insane. Okay, so I'm glad you said that, actually. Would you mind if if I told the story about our most recent adventure? Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't know if... Like, I'm doing all these shows to try to make me look good. I don't know if I come out the best at this end of this, the end of this story, but yeah, you can go on. Oh, no, I disagree. Let me just tell the story, okay? Okay. You and I have always been big fans of comedy forever and ever. Oh, yeah. Jeff Foxworthy, Larry the Cable Guy, the Blue Collar Boys. Like, we loved it. For sure. And so, you and I were watching Jerry Seinfeld's latest stand-up show on Netflix, his special that just came out. And we were inspired by the way that he opened that show. You and I booked cheap tickets to New York, and we tracked down and hired the helicopter pilot that Jerry used in that open. And and, and we were going to jump out of the helicopter just like Jerry did. We were standing in the, in the big opening of the, of the helicopter. We're all geared up. We're, get, we're wearing wetsuits. We're getting to jump out of the helicopter. And like at the last second, you and I locked eyes and we're like, this is insane. We can't do this. We're not in college anymore. And we kind of just had this understanding without saying any words, we're not going to do this. And then I went to go tell the helicopter pilot, hey, we're not, we're not, this is a no-go. We're not going. And then you lost your footing and fell out the side of the helicopter. It was like 80 or 100 feet. And we had to fish you out of New York Harbor. Yeah, it wasn't the bet. Like, I pulled a one-man Sully Sullenberger. Like, I fell, I hit a bird on the way down, fell in the harbor. They had to fish me out. I still smell like the harbor. Like, there's still a a lingering saltiness to me, like a fine scotch. Okay, so so I have a question. I mean, we had this conversation, but I want to do it for the sake of the show. Because when you jump on purpose, at least you can sort of control your body. What was it like to to just kind of awkwardly fall out of the helicopter that distance into the water? I mean, you saw the body was whipping around. And in that moment, like, all I knew was I had to control myself to land in water. I've played enough Grand Theft Auto that I know ground means dead, but water, it doesn't matter how far you're up. You can land in water and you'll be perfectly fine. So... I was kind of free falling for a few. And then I like, I, I, once again, I went to like movies and I know if you just like lock your arms and legs like together, I kind of just became a speeding bullet at that point, And okay. I just went down. Yeah. Cause from my vantage point, it looked really awkward, but you did land it. I mean, you, you did land the, 
I mean, it's not like you belly flopped or, or anything awkward. You know, by the time you hit the water, you were in great shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did build up so much velocity that I reached the bottom of the harbor. And so I found like fun, like I like old iPhones and stuff down there. I wish I had like had the 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 thought of mind to actually like grab them. Like, you know, like maybe I could make some money on the black market with it. But I but I didn't. So then after we fished you out of the water, we basically went and got what I would consider, I think you agree, was probably the best slice of pizza and cup of coffee we've ever had. Yeah, I I tried to like do the Avengers joke. I tried to go get shawarma, but neither of us knew what shawarma was, so we very quickly relegated towards pizza. And it was great. Like that was the ori- they were like descendants of the original Italians who came over to New York and invented pizza. It was great. Yeah, it was like $7 a slice, but it was still very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a big slice. It was one of the fold boys, like where they're so big you have to fold them over each other. It was like half a pizza, but they said it was just a slice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. And then <clears throat> uh, we, we didn't really plan that well. The, the good thing was is that the tickets were really cheap out there. I think it was like 100 bucks a ticket for us to fly out there. There was like seven people on the airplane, including the two of us. But we didn't have enough money for a hotel, so we basically just had to had to get another cheap flight, and we flew home right away. Well, I've done that before. Like, I've flown to Chicago for, like, a day trip and just, like, right. flown home that night, but nothing like this. And what was bad, no one wanted to sit by me on the plane. Like, the stench, once again, unbearable still. Oh, no, I, I also did not sit by you on the flight home. It was a rough go. Um, the only person who was able to handle was like a taxi driver. And for him, he was like, oh, this is just like another Tuesday. But for me, right. yeah, it was still rough. Right. I, I have people ride in my car multiple times a day that have just been fished out of the bay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no big deal to him. Well, all right. Well, thanks for letting me tell that story. I, I mean... It, w- it was so outrageous. I mean, not compared to the other things we've done in our history, but it was so outrageous. I, th- I just thought it would be a great way to start our conversation. A natural flow where the audience gets to like know me as a person, gets a nice introduction, knows that I yeah. smell like river salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that's important for people to know. I, I want this conversation to appeal to all of the senses. Sight, su- sight sun, taste, smell, uh imagination seeing dead people all the senses all of the senses that's right those are all of them all right well the other reason why we wanted to get together is because you're trying to set a record yes i mean i already set a record for the world's like closest to earth base jump when i landed in the harbor because like you said it wasn't that far up when i landed but like that was enough to earn a record yeah yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, we, when we got our coffee and pizza, the we were we were just kind of talking about what had just happened. Our waiter was actually a guy that had worked for the Guinness Book of World Record, who was on furlough and had to get a waiting job. So uh, he was like, "Wow, are you serious?" And then and then you were, you were telling him about your other thing, and he's he's like, "Oh my gosh, you're you're a multiple r- record setter. We need we need to do something with this." And and so. I thought that was very fortuitous. But but in any case, why don't you tell everyone the the newest record that you're trying to set? 
So this was kind of this was my secondary choice for a world record because I also do a professional wrestling audio drama. Of course. So ima- imagine everything you know about pro wrestling, like the the pageantry, the matches, the promos, everything. Imagine that, but without the visuals, and that's what I do. And nice. so at one at one point, I realized like. We've only got like 10 episodes out right now, but we've been doing it for like three years on our other podcast, Fight Boys. Is there a way I could get a Guinness World Record for longest running professional wrestling audio drama? And so I went to the Guinness website where you actually have to submit new world records. And they were like, if it's too specific or something that literally no one else does, we will not award you that because it's way too, like, it's too, it, it's basically giving you a free Guinness World Record. So at that point, I said, right. well, what else do I do a lot? And that's podcast. I think I do seven shows, six, five or six of them are weekly. And so at the end of the year, I usually end up having about 300 podcast appearances for the entire year. I said, well... If I start coming on more podcasts, I could probably get to like five hundo. And once I get to five hundo, like that's got to be somewhere. And because I didn't want to just like not try, because if I only ended up with like three hundred, someone who does a daily podcast could easily destroy me. Like they would, they would have me taken out of the water with an extra sixty-five episodes. But like five hundred, I feel was enough, enough to push me over the edge. Yeah, for sure. You've been going after records as long as I've known you. The other one was, you didn't research this before. I think it's good that you contacted up this time. The last time you said, hey, I'm going to set the record for the guy wearing a yellow dress in Central Park feeding the most birds in one day. And I was like, man, I, I mean, I, I like I like your creativity. I just think that's too specific and it's just kind of weird. And so that didn't really go anywhere. That was a real issue. And plus they like, what I got, they considered a skirt and not a dress. And so oh, then I was screwed geez. all around. That's right. You were wearing a blouse and a skirt, not not a full dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I like I fed a squirrel at one point and I tried to add that to the tally and they got real mad. They're like, no, no, no. A squirrel is not a bird. I'm Ted Guinness and I'm here to tell you a squirrel is not a bird. <laughs> well, and then this, this elderly couple came over and they started feeding the same birds as you and that got really complicated. That led to probably the only time in my life where I wanted, actively wanted with all of my being to punch an octogenarian in their kidneys. Right. But it was right. close. Well, that's because up to that point, you were like, I'm going to set this record. And then the squirrel thing and then... And then the then they walked up and it was just it just it just spiraled from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's June. When did you did you start this January one? I'm assuming because you do your own weekly podcast. Update us on the progress. So I officially decided I was going to do it in the middle of May. And <laughs> in hindsight being 2020, I should have then haha 2020. I should have said starting now up until next May. But instead I said, no, I'm just going to start from the beginning of January to now where I hadn't been actively trying for it. So I could probably next year destroy the number I'm at currently because I'd have an extra five months of prep. So you thought a good plan would be to handicap yourself five and a half months. That just makes it a more badass setting of a record. It's like, I ain't even try. This is only 50% of my power. (laughs) And I did this. <laughs> okay, so 
can you project where you think you're going to be at the end of this year, the calendar year? Oh, snap. Yeah, I've got the nerdiest spreadsheet in the entire world for this. Um, let's see, because I've got all of my shows listed out, a segment where I'm putting a U- URL from Podchaser of the episode link, and the last one is a final tally. So currently at this year, I've appeared on 119 podcasts estimated with all of the shows that I'm going to be doing of my weekly shows and with all of the shows appearances that I've done that haven't come out yet, I'm at like 311. So like Amber is really the color of my energy right now. Okay. All right. And just to clarify, you you referenced it earlier. You have been in contact with Guinness and this will be recognized as an official record. I'm still waiting for them to get back to me, which will be the worst moment of my life. If I've been like going ham for like all these months and then Guinness is like, actually, bro, no, actually, bro, you're not going to get this. That's going to make me really. I, the only uh, hope I'm getting is the fact that one of my friends, Megaran, is a rapper and he got a record for something even more arbitrary, which is most songs to reference a single video game franchise. And so I think I'm good. I think Guinness will be into this. Or if not, then it's it's the whole bird feeding incident all over again. Yeah, exactly. Except now I want to fight a nerdcore rapper instead of wanting to fight an octogenarian. Or I want to yeah. fight Ted Guinness. I don't know yet. Fight them all. I say you fight them all. It's going to be a battle royal. Me, <laughs> Megaran, Ted Guinness, and two octogenarians from the upper side of New York. And we're just locked in a steel cage. And whoever survives gets the Guinness world record. I like your feistiness, but I'm not sure who I'd put my money on. I don't don't be insulted by that, but I don't know. That's a pretty those are formidable foes. I would be the only thing that gives me pause is like if the octogenarians, I mean they're coming in basically as a tag team That's and if true. they could do like a a megazord transformation and both like the old woman climbs on the old man's head, then I think we're all screwed. They formed like eight legs of justice ready to take us down. Yeah, that's a great point. All right. Well, best of luck to you on this. I, I want you to get this. As, as your longtime close friend, I want you to achieve this life goal. Yeah. Close, close personal friend. Close. Yeah. All right. Well, something else that you and I have in common is improv comedy. Yes. Well, I don't think we, we haven't done any of that tonight. But like in general, I think we do enjoy a good bit of like whose line is it anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not saying we're we're performing that now. I'm just saying we've got that in our backgrounds. Yeah. So tell everybody your your background in improv, or any exposure, or fandom, or interests, or whatever. It well, I I grew up like many people in like my age bracket grew up watching Whose Line Is It Anyway and fell in sure. love with it. Mm-hmm. And the most fury I've ever felt is one point we were playing Who's Line games in college and someone got mad and said, this isn't improv. How dare you? And I'm like, it is like, it's not like full, full form improv, but like, it's still something like, come on. 
And so everything we like the main the show we do that is considered improv comedy is called a load of BS. And for a while, it was the laziest form of improv, which is two guys brainstorming and us going like, hey, I want to make a movie about um, imagine Game of Thrones. But all of the houses are actually like fast food franchises. So we would just come up (laughs) with ideas and talk about it. And then because I. I like short form game improv a lot because I grew up with like Who's Line. And then the change happened. And the change happened when I saw Middle Ditch in Schwartz on Netflix. That changed a lot of people. And that was the moment I said, oh, long form improv is actually amazing. Because for a while I was like, it might be a little bit cringy or weird. I don't know. And then I saw that and went, oh, this is the greatest thing of all time. I love it. And so the very next episode of BS we did, we changed formats from doing like two pitches and brainstorming to only one pitch. And initially we said, oh, we're going to do one so that way the show takes less time. The show has gotten irrevocably longer since starting because halfway through the pitch i just started doing improv so like i came in as a character and it's so much better of a storytelling tool because then you make small choices in conversation that dictate huge plot points that you wouldn't think about through like normal just normal brainstorming back and forth it was important to like get in the body of that character and see like oh he's kind of a stoner or oh he sounds exactly like emperor palpatine and seeing where that dictated it so to give this some context explain kind of your your background or history with or performing any type of comedy i grew up with stand-up comedy normal kids grew up like watching uh, like watching Blues Clues and stuff like that. Meanwhile, I would watch, and I know I joked about it earlier, but I did watch Blue Collar Comedy Tour a lot and then ended up watching guys like Christopher Titus. And stand-up was really my main source of comedy. I used to fall asleep because I'm one of those people who um, I can't go to bed unless there's like music playing or something. Right. To, to silence the demons. And so uh, I would fall asleep listening to stand-up comedy tracks. So comedy has like, always been in my blood. And then like as I grew, I got into theater. And the theater is just like a wealth of getting to do really fun comedy. And I found, and this is where improv comes in, the best roles I ever got were roles that allowed me to go away from the script and actually just improv some stuff. So I think the first time I did it was in high school. We did like a dinner theater play and uh, I, we were two rednecks, but we were also detectives because why not at this point? And I came out on stage in high school where all the plays are supposed to be very like white collar by the books. And I was just like making jokes about finding porn on someone's laptop, making jokes about like dirty emails. And I loved it because it was all improv and the audience is going going crazy and i got off stage and my theater teacher looked at me and said i'm gonna murder you and that's when i knew this is for me this is my vibe (laughs) well and and i found in in my brief experience with it that people with a theater background starting even in middle school or high school they've got a not not for everybody because you can certainly catch up uh in your improv experience and skill but I think people with a drama background or theater background have a distinct advantage. 
Yeah, and it, I, I genuinely think, especially for me, it's because I like I write novels and I'll write stories. I write audio drama, so I know where the beats are supposed to go in the story. Whereas I feel like someone who comes in without like a writing or a theatrical background hasn't. And this is like you said, you could still get good at it. But I feel like it was very important to know a traditional story, know where the emotional beats are supposed to be, know where stuff grows from, know that, like, don't start at 100, start at zero and work your way to 100. Theater really helped me kind of get into it and realize, like, what I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed to do it. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying is, is there are some kind of performance fundamentals, whether it be... The, what the different positions on the stage are called or to orient and project out to the audience or even if they're mechanical things, but also what you've just said, which is structure of story and character development and those types of things. If everyone had just kind of a theater 101 exposure, it would automatically propel them past some of those things so they could focus just on the improv. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be honest, when I talk to people about like, oh, you were a theater major? What was that like? I'm like, I didn't I did go to school for theater but at the end of the day it felt more like a how to be a human class that was kind of what my theater training was it was how do you stand properly how do you I took a class for four years on voice not singing but how to properly talk as a human being how to speak so like that's what theater was for me was learning how to be a natural human without having to like worry about anything like learning and this works especially in improv is um and I, I talked about this on a few shows i've been on but like the importance of the ball of energy so it's uh, I, i'm a guy who brings a lot of energy to whatever show i'm on so i take the ball put energy in it toss it to whoever is interviewing me in this case my close personal friend and then it's the audience likes watching the ball go back and forth they like watching the energy grow and the energy get matched and that was one of the and the way you do that is by listening it's by when like say when you have the ball and you're talking about that great helicopter story i'm in my like normal people and even me are guilty guilty of being like oh this is good but i know what i'm gonna say next and i'm gonna build it and it's gonna be great and you're not listening you're not paying attention to what's going on and that ruins it because that just ruins the conversation because you're not paying attention and that's that's my biggest takeaway from theater and that really helped me just in life in general was listen to the other person match their energy and throw the ball back and forth don't try to keep the ball for yourself okay so those basics that you just explained you you learned all that in theater because because i learned it in improv so i I didn't know that that would that was part of in other words listening you know not thinking of what you're going to say responding directly to what that the other person said you're saying those are those are theater principles yeah, because in theater, it's um, uh, there were, are a lot of people, especially like in high school, who would be like, oh, you're theater, so you memorize words and say them to other people. <laughs> it's so far beyond that. It yeah. is, yeah. you know that script by heart, and y- all you need to do is listen to the other person naturally, so that way when you say what you're going to say in response, it's not a... Uh, I'm reading off a script that's running in my head. It is a natural response to what they just said to you. Have you had the opportunity to perform long-form improv? Outside of 
the podcast? No, I would love to. Um, it's just a matter of, and also the way we do it's a little weird because like what I loved about Middleditch and Schwartz in is the fact that they would take, I, I, I guess I'll say breaks where they were like in the, uh, the third episode, what they did where they had to take a break and was like, what's my name and what's your name? What's my intention? Like, I I enjoyed that because it helped the (laughs) audience go along with it. So that's what our show is, is halfway through, because we build movies. Not every movie has talking in it, which means there would have to be moments during the show where we'd take a pause and be like, okay, now's the part where they drive to Las Vegas and they get into a bunch of crazy antics in Las Vegas. Like it's, it goes from the talking aspect to explaining the plot. So I don't know if I would be good at long form improv without being able to break like that, but uh, it's something that definitely interests me. Well, for people that don't know what we're talking about, Middleditch and Schwartz, which is a three-episode series on Netflix right now, Thomas Middleditch and Ben Schwartz, but that's the first time that true long-form improv has made it into the mainstream, where, where a mass audience could sit down on a popular platform and watch long-form improv. In front. That's never happened before, which is nuts because the long-form improv that we know today has been around since like the mid to late 70s. But the other thing people don't realize is that they have thousands of hours and hundreds and hundreds of shows under their belt, and they're making something that is really, really difficult look extremely easy. Yeah, uh, because it's not just like being able to come up with good, good goofs and jokes. It's also knowing the other person. Like, right. that's why me and my co-host on a load of BS, we can do it so well, is we've done this for five years plus so I know the kind of way he'll take it and he knows the kind of way like it's our brains are linked so much that now we have a running joke called copy, which is if one of us brings an idea to the table that the other one was thinking of, we immediately just scream copy at each other because we know our minds are linked from working. And it's not that you can't do a, a two man improv with someone that you don't know that well. Um, I mean, of course, me and you longtime friends, so of course we are easily connected and could do improv no matter what. Quite easily, yeah. I did a show last week that was an improv comedy show, and it was two guys I didn't know anything about. I barely knew anything about the story they were telling because it wasn't just like one story we were doing. It was a continuation of a long story they had been building that I knew nothing about. But I was able to get in there, take the pieces that I did know and work with it. But at the end of the day, I think... Having some very, very close familiarity with the other person helps a lot. And I think that's where, if you know the principles you explained earlier, if you're just a a good listener and you're responding to the last thing whoever said, then you can, it makes it much easier to step into a situation you've you've never been a part of before. With me, like, it just adds an extra level of comfortability to know the other person because then you trust them and trust that they won't go in a buck wild, crazy direction that you then have to try to find a way to justify. And it's not like that still doesn't happen. Like, it happens all the time. Even Middle Ditch and Shorts had that, that moment of like, I don't want this guy to exist. I don't know why he's here. Like, yes. Yes. Well, the other thing is, is when you're as as good and accomplished as those guys are, 
you've earned the right to break like they do. You know, when, when they say, I don't remember what my character's name is right in the middle of the show, you know, that's not common in an improv show. Generally, if someone calls you by the wrong name, that's just your new name and you don't say anything about it, right? Yeah, but I I like it because it does help the audience as well remember what's going on, who everybody is. And usually they find like a good way to tag it back into the story. So like the moment where they're like, okay, it's me and then uh, Barbara mm-hmm. and then this person. And yeah. then after that, it's like, okay, we've established everyone who's here. So now let's keep telling the story. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think that less, less experienced improvisers could pull that off. I, I think it would feel like an awkward clunky moment for for less experienced players but for yeah. those guys they know how to blend it into the show and make it really funny yeah it, it's a moment of uh, they're comfortable enough with it to be to look at it and say okay we're just gonna break for a minute y'all i hope you're cool with this and uh, it, well it's not even that it's it's not even saying are you cool with this it's them just doing it and right. us as the audience are like okay yeah, yeah, yeah i understand what they're doing right now yeah, for sure. I like it because it's almost like the pen and teller of improv comedy because they are not just doing like pen and teller. They're not just doing the magic. They're showing you the behind the scenes. So this is very much showing like taking apart improv and putting it back together, showing that like, hey, sometimes we get a character's accent wrong. Hey, sometimes we forget everyone who's in this room and uh, <laughs> it 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 doesn't make it an uncomfortable moment because it's more rewarding almost for the audience. And I hate to keep calling back to the show that some of the listeners may not have seen before, but like the moment where in the, uh, the T the uh, school episode where uh, I can't remember the character's name, but he's like, wait a minute. I'm also here. And the entire <laughs> audience feels so rewarded for being like, finally, you remembered. Thank right. you. Right, 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 right. Well, I hope I hope anybody that's listening to this that has only just heard the the word improv or just has had the most minimal exposure to it, I hope that they will go and watch Middle Ditch and Schwartz. And, and I'll put a link in the show notes because uh, long form improv is is really a, a comedy art that is horribly underappreciated. The other thing that you can look up is um, you can look up Askat on YouTube or oh Askat is great. Yeah, the 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 UCB guys look look up go to the UCB theater website or, or look up UCB on on um, YouTube. Just expose yourself to long form improv because almost every great comedian or comedic actor that everyone loves they've taken a swim through improv or one of the major improv theaters around the country. They've never stopped there because that's not the tradition. That's not the traditional path, but I think it's underappreciated. I wish more people would embrace it. Yeah. I mean, like uh, my favorite is still something where the performers clearly have like a good, uh, like a beat map of where the plot is going to go, but then they can just improv and find their like, um, oh hello on Broadway with Mulaney and Nick Kroll. Yeah, they clearly have a plot that they want to do, but also they're willing to go off into different sections and make jokes and improv around it. That's my favorite thing because then you get a story that's well crafted. 
and uh which not that an improv show can't be well crafted but like it's had more work done to it but then you also have those amazing natural moments that really stick in your head from the show I love what you're describing, kind of that hybrid situation. And th- and that's a cool thing for people to expose themselves to. Yeah, and it also, that kind of calls back to what I was talking about, like knowing where writing beats happen. Because then you could put in any plot you want. So it, it doesn't matter any story that we tell on a load of BS. We know like, okay, we've got to introduce a majority of our characters here. We've got to introduce the problem here. Then there's got to be the dark moment where everything seems lost. Then the redemption and then the denouement after like the big ending happens. So like every, we know those beat points we just have to figure out what in the story is here for these beat points what's supposed to be here to to slide in yeah that's great that's really good there is one more thing that i wanted to say about middle edition schwartz so if people choose to watch it, uh, this is one of the a few things I want the, them to be able to identify. This has become a Middle Ditch and Schwartz fan cast at this point, and I'm <laughs> really here for is. it. It really is. Not not the intention. This is not what we intended to talk about, but but it's still fun anyways. But that's a, that's a two-person show, whereas typical long form uh, usually has plus or minus six people. And they're doing what's called a mono scene, which means the entire show is a single scene with multiple characters. Most shows are about 20 or 25 minutes. You know, they've got, a, a, you know, eight, 10 different scenes that are 30 seconds to two minutes long. Those guys are doing a 45-minute mono scene. And during that scene, they're inventing about 12 to 15 characters. They're keeping it all straight. They're, they're mostly keep remembering all their names. And they're playing each other's characters. And, and all those things, everything that I just described is really, really difficult to do well. Yes, especially because, like, and even they mess it up, but, like, multiple characters, you have to have multiple voices, and as an improv partner, you have to think, is this a voice the other guy can do? Because we rarely do swap characters on BS, but usually if we do, it's the character that we know how to do the voice of. Like, oh, yeah, that guy sounds like Nick Offerman, we both know how to sound like that, or this guy sounds like just our normal voice so we could easily swap between that uh but yeah that's probably the toughest thing to pull off um because last the last episode we released of bs we decided we had never seen the movie citizen kane so we decided to do long form improv and try to figure out what citizen kane was because all we knew like we took what we knew through cultural osmosis like rosebud is a sled and stuff like that but outside of that, we knew nothing about the plot of the film. And at one point, he started doing a character that had this very high-pitched, like, southern Wilton voice. And then I did another character, and I was so lost that I just started doing that guy's voice. So I was like, oh, no, no, that's not me. It's a completely different character. And so, <laughs> and this is what Middleditch and Schwartz did well, as well as what we did, which is, once we realize that problem, we I, you have to find a way to fix it through the narrative. And so for us, after a while, we're like, that's my twin. We're brothers. And so that's why both characters sounded the same. Perfect. There you go. Well, and, and the other thing is that, you know, a character is not just a name and a voice. It's also a point of view. A good character is built out and multidimensional. And so when you think about over a course of 45 minutes that they've built out a a dozen or 15 characters, 
and, and giving them a point of view that they all have to stick to and all those things is just really it's really impressive to watch point of view is like super important with all the characters yeah it definitely is okay so as we wrap up our time together scotty as you know we have a, a very interactive facebook group for our podcast yes that group is called the gravity beard interns and we've been around for about two years now and there is a lot of inside jokes there's a lot of kind of tapestry that we've woven over that short amount of time and so we're going to do what I'm going to do with you to wrap up our time together is kind of some quick hits, if you will, some some things that are related to the group. I'm just going to ask you some questions and you just need to give some relatively short answers. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. I'm so I'm, I'm in a, a power stance, if you will, ready to deliver these a- answers fast and hard. Perfect. Just so the audience knows. The answers to these things is the metric by which everyone in the group is going to judge you. Okay. Okay. So here we go. What is your favorite cookie? Uh, M&M. What is your favorite soft drink? Um, It's called Inca Cola. You could only get it at the World of Coke in Epcot at Disney at Club Cool. And it's so good. And it tastes like bubble gum. <laughs> okay, great. Breakfast cereal. Oh, lo, wait, not, oh, ah, uh, unattainable one is Poppin' Pebbles, it's Fruity Pebbles, but there's Pop Rocks in it, attainable one is Fruity Pebbles, but with Marbits in it. Okay, favorite soup? I uh, don't like soup. All right, ice cream flavor? Uh, cookie dough. Favorite overall dessert? Lemon ice box pie. Best stand-up comic of all time? Oh, man. John Mulaney. That's a good one. He's one of my favorites. Bar soap or body wash? I'm currently a bar soap boy, but body wash is easier to lather. Do you like cheesecake? Yes, I used to not. Really? How did you transform from not liking cheesecake to liking cheesecake? It's too tangy. It was too tangy when I was a kid, but now like a nice chocolate cheesecake, I can dig into it. Okay. How do you like your eggs cooked? Scrambled or boiled, preferably boiled so I can just eat them very quickly and not have to worry about it. Favorite form of potato side dish? Mashed potatoes, specifically the kind my wife makes. Favorite sandwich? Grilled cheese, but when you grill it, you put um, that powdered Parmesan cheese on the outside of the bread, and it gets, like, burnt and crispy. All right. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Absolutely not. Look, a sandwich involves two pieces of bread. Hot dog has one piece of bread. Don't matter if it's folded or not. It's only one piece of bread. It is missing a whole slice of bread. I don't know why I'm turning into John Malkovich for this diatribe, <laughs> but I am. It is a single piece of bread. <laughs> what about a hamburger? That's a sandwich. It's a it's okay. an elegant sandwich, but it's got two pieces of bread. What about a gyro? Um, ain't that like a that's like a burrito kind of thing, ain't it? That's one piece of bread. That's not a sandwich. Okay. All right. What about a Philly cheesesteak? Isn't that I've never had a Philly cheesesteak, but isn't that made in like how many how much bread is it? It's mostly bread. I mean, it's like probably half bread. Yeah, no, no. But how many breads? 
Well, they they don't slice it in half. They like carve it out and put chopped chopped meat in it. That sounds like a nasty meat taco, and I'm gonna say that's not a sandwich. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, and we are gonna finish up again in the quick hit fashion with some hypotheticals. Are you ready for this? Absolutely, yes. Assuming no long-term health risks, for $1,000 a day, how many consecutive days would you go without engaging in any personal hygiene, not counting washing your hands? Well, as someone who's long time suffered from clinical depression, I've done this for free for multiple years during my life, so I could probably go a solid five years. Wow. (laughs) Five years. Okay. That's the longest answer we've ever had. Congratulations. Yes. Okay, moving on. Would you rather have a lobster claw or a baby arm? Oh, man. Um, is the is it same proportion? It's a normal baby arm or you have a, a lobster claw for a hand. So a big lobster claw, though. Just replace your hand with the same size lobster claw. A lobster claw. Absolutely lobster claw. What's the largest land animal you think you could beat in a duel to the death? Now, a duel implies guns. No, mm, it's more like mono we mono, no weapons. So like pure, pure wrestling match? Well, let's just assume that whatever this animal is, that you encounter it out in its natural habitat and you come eye to eye and then you realize one of us isn't going to leave here alive. <sighs> Man, bigger than a dog, but smaller than a bear. Like I don't platypus. I think a platypus is smaller than a dog. How small are platypi? I thought they were very big. I don't think so. I think platypi are fairly small. I'm used to small dogs, though. Okay, well, platypi are bigger than a than a small, small dog. All right, we're both just looking up how big platypuses are right now, so... <laughs> oh, wow, they are really tiny! I'm maintaining it, though, because I would love to just punt one of these abominations of nature. <laughs> you would like to fight you would like to fight a platypus. Yes. Okay, I think the listeners are learning a lot of things about you that I already knew by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, for the rest of your life, would you rather eat the same thing every day or never again eat the same thing twice? Uh, well, firstly, number 1, we're putting the platypus in the steel cage match with the octogenarians and Ted Guinness and Mega Rand, so he's there now. Um, but man, uh, I could probably eat the. Uh, wait, are we saying no health risks? So I would get all of my nutrient from this food. That's correct. Same food for the rest of my life. And it would be, um, pepperoni pizza, thin crust from Pizza Hut. Uh, God bless you, sir. All right, that's it, Scotty. That's all we got today. I feel like that was the wrong answer. I feel like that was a negative point was me no. saying Pizza Hut pizza. No, no. Your answer is your answer. You own it. All right. Not many people like Pizza Hut pizza. That's why I'm scared. I'm scared now. I'm going to I'm going to get fired. I mean, it's out there now. You just have to, it just has to go where it's like submitting a job application. It's been submitted. Oh, God. OK, Scotty, we've run out of time before we go. You are involved in so many different projects, including several podcasts. Please tell us about all of them. Um, no, there's so many. I'm not doing it. But if you want to see them, you can go to a load of pure BS.com. And if you like pro wrestling, look up the Fight Boys on YouTube. We've got JWF Ignition, which is our wrestling organization. And then we have a developmental territory that's a lot more silly called JXT. And another show called Developmentally Unstable, which is essentially that show Monster Factory, 
but it's for professional wrestling. So you can get that. And if you want me on your podcast, you can find me on Twitter at Scotty Mo. That is spelled S-C-O-T-T-Y-E-M-O. Well, all right, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome, my close personal friend. It was a great time. We talked about improv comedy, and then we did some very weird stuff. But that's just <laughs> us. That's our jam, baby. Me and you, we like to have very intelligent conversations and then go punt a platypus into the New York Harbor. Like, that's just us. Yeah, that's. I mean, we have a long history of similar behavior. Yes. Yeah, all right. Well, would you mind if I wrapped up with some credits? Do it. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of The Interview Show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Also, tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to help grow an independent podcast like this one. The Interview Show is a proud member of the Podfix Network. To find other great shows consistently creating platinum-level content, go right now to podfixnetwork.com or search at Podfix on Twitter. Special thanks to Phil Rude, that illustrator guy, for our custom logo. This is The Interview Show by Gravity Beard. Bye, Ocon Dios.